The following audio content was recorded at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit upc.org. We're actually going to start off with a little project. So uh, turn to your significant, and what we want you to do is grab a 3 by 5 card on the table. You can grab a 1 or 2. If we need some pens, Janie, I think we need to get the pens around. And um, here's what we want you to do. We want you to write down your favorite date, right? Yeah. Your favorite date. Your fa- yeah, you have to have really it- been on it. Yeah, and it has to, you have to be you have to been on it with your your spouse. With the person you're here with. You might not want to put down a favorite date with a former boyfriend or a girlfriend. Mike, do you want them to do it together or separately? Together. Yeah, together. Do it together. If you have more than yeah, do it together. We want you to write it down though, because we're we want them. We want the car. We want to steal your ideas. Because we're going to steal your ideas. Hey Ryan, do they do we have any do anybody need any pens? Are we all right? Any pens? <laughs> but I want to start by giving you men out here uh, the best piece of advice that I was given by uh, my pastor uh, before I got married. Okay, and uh, and this kind of sets the tone uh, for tonight. And but the best piece of advice that I'd, I'd received was when my pastor told me, Mike, um, you start making love to your wife uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can do mornings. That sounds great. <laughs> and uh, he quickly communicated to me that that wasn't his point, that his point was that you start making love to your wife when you wake up in the morning, uh, and how you treat her at 10 a.m. will determine how she treats you at 10 p.m. And we'll get silence instead of amens out here. <laughs> Some of the women are like, would somebody have told him that a couple years ago? But the point is, is that, that, uh, is that something that we have been learning and I've been learning ever since. And that is that, uh, uh, that the way in which we approach, uh, this whole thing of sexuality, uh, is often very different. Um, for men, a, a lot of times our goal in life in essence, is the end goal. You know, the, our, 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 our motivation is the, is the, uh, uh, is the end objective, uh, typically. Whereas for Sherry, her motivation primarily, primarily is the process of getting to the end goal. And somehow God has seen fit to put those two things together to help us in this journey together. Uh, and knowing that the motivation of the goal at the end of the day is going to motivate, uh, me in how I treat Sherry the beginning of the day, uh, but more importantly than just obviously the be, the the one day, it's the whole of the relationship and how we go and uh, about having a relationship that is one that God intended for only us, as we mentioned last week. Um, that you will have other friends and you'll have other uh, coworkers and you have other family members, but there's only one person that you share this incredibly intimate experience with in your life. And the hope would be, and my hope for you and even sharing the things that we share tonight, is that you will continue to share that the rest of your life. That you won't wake up like some people our age wake up today, and they don't remember when the last time was that they made love. Um, That instead, that you would continue to enjoy uh, an intimate relationship with this person you committed to here a couple months ago or a couple years ago throughout the rest of your life. And we have some things that we want to share about that. We do. Um... Last week we were talking about how when we all got married, we talked about your vows and how if, when, when you said those vows, your idea of marriage was for you to thrive and not simply survive. And today our word's going to be alive because uh, as we thought through some of the things that help in our relationship, um, we thought of acrostic and the acrostic is alive. So... Um, these things may not appear to be directly related to sex, but they have everything to do with sex, and we'll make the connections as we move along. Well, when you get married, you get a lot of advice, as you know, and the, the number one advice that we got, and at the time it seemed sort of silly to us, 
and that was always date. Um, it's kind of like when you have kids, the thing that people always said to us that seems silly is they grow, it goes by so fast. Just enjoy it. And we'll be like, that seems so silly. But now that we are having our kids leave our home and go to college, now it makes all the sense because it was absolutely true. So some of these things you don't see evidence of for a long, long time. And last week we talked about laying the foundations and the patterns of your life so that your relationship will thrive over time. And one of these things is having a dating be part of your rhythm of your week and your month and your mm -hmm. years, that it's always um, part of how you operate as a couple. And when we were talking about this today, it's like, well, how would we define date? And so Mike said, I think dating is setting aside the time for shared connection, experience, and discovery. And I thought that was a really good definition. Setting aside time for shared connection, experience, and discovery. Mm -hmm. So as um, Mike mentioned, that this relationship is unique to, to you and the person that you're here with, you and your spouse. You share it alone. And while you might get together with friends um, of same sex um, it's, and get together, it's not like a date like you have with the person here. So it really is a unique situation, and it takes some intentionality in how to, how to care and nurture it. So we've always um, went, we've always taken this advice that we've gotten, mm -hmm. and now it's such the fabric of who we are, we can't imagine it not, we can imagine not doing it this way. Mm -hmm. So um, as we think about our dating life, we've kind of went from being newlyweds like you are through a stage of having smaller kids and then older kids, and now we're getting back used to kind of, we're kind of closer to you now than we were five years ago, or you know, or seven years ago in a way, because now we feel like we're almost coming back to being sort of newlyweds again, and that we're home alone a lot, or we have a lot of time together. So when we think about your stage of life, it seems more um, relevant to yeah, where yes. we are than it than it did a short time ago. So um, when we talk about, Do you know how hard it is for me not to make comments, jokes about that. What? <laughs> like, like what kind of jokes? About being home alone again, being like their age. Remember the whole thing we were told when we were younger, how many jelly beans you put in a jar? Did anybody get that advice, get told that? Put a jelly bean in a jar every time you fool around your first year of marriage, right? And then after the first year of marriage, every time you fool around, take a jelly bean out and you'll never empty the jelly bean jar. <laughs> we're going to empty the jelly bean. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we don't have a jar. <laughs> Mike's a big talker, but there's no jar. <laughs> there's no jar. No jar. Anyway, I'm sorry, I threw you off there. Right. I got distracted. I started thinking about, yeah, that's right. right. That's a good point. So as we think about your stage of life, we think about um, couples that have two careers that are just kind of launching, or maybe someone is who's launching a career married to someone who's in grad school. There's probably some of you that are in grad school. There's some of you that are buying new homes or renovating an old home that you've moved into. And all of these things begin to take up your time and your energy um, as your life goes along. And this can get squeezed out. The it's not that you don't spend time together. It's that intentional time where you're not just giving the person that whatever's left over at yeah. the end of your day. And I think that that's what we want you to hear is that there needs to be time that you spend. It's not the leftovers of what's, what, what the remnant is of your energy when everything else is done. And so since this is the most important relationship that you have in your life, we feel like it deserves some of your best time and energy and creativity. Yeah. And again, the emphasis here for, for all of you to hear from us is that we've weathered the stage of life where we're the busiest. You're not there yet. I mean, unless you've had a, some significant tragedy come in your life more recently, um, the reality is, is the most challenging times for you to have time alone is still ahead of you. And we're just so grateful we set a pattern so that when we went into those years with our kids, uh, and not just having kids, but having kids with some significant medical uh, trials that we went through and challenges, that that pattern stayed in our relationship. And we're absolutely convinced that just a few years ago when we went through a really significant thing with one of our daughters, um, that we really believe that it was these early uh, years of, 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 so to speak, you know, 
you know, getting the points, you know, you know, kind of making the deposits of our relationship through dating with each other uh, that paid off when we were going through some pretty severe times. So, so, so set the pattern today and keep it going uh, throughout your life. Always date. Don't take it off your list as if that's something for people that aren't married yet, but continue to date. Make it a regular part of your life. We have some creative things that we did as well that we should, we should tell you about just for some ideas as you've written some things down. And we do want to collect those because those are helpful for us. But, uh, for example, one of the, one stage of our life when we first had, um, and we'll tell you stories tonight that in some ways are, are about when we were at your stage of life, but also when we had children because we realize that maybe not everybody in here will have children, but, we, but but the reality is, is for many of you, that will be a next stage. And so we'll tell stories that kind of combine both things. And so we're helping you also to be thinking out into the future. But one of the times in our life was when we were in Colorado, and we um, and my, my job is uh, was on you know Tuesday nights when, in Colorado and here in Seattle for 20 years of our life. I was every Tuesday night. I was out late at night. And, uh, but what I would find myself doing is I would get up in the morning and because it was Tuesday night, I would get up and work and I would work on my talk for the Tuesday night or whatever, but I would just work and I would find myself working these just ridiculously long Tuesdays only to have to get up on Wednesday and go to a staff, pastoral staff meeting. And so I would just be wiped out before halfway of the week even came because I'd do these long days and Monday was a long day. And so what we did is we started having a, a date morning. And, uh, and so Tuesday morning became our date morning. Some, there were some folks, Brian might remember this. There, there were some people around the inn back then when we used to do this that used to just laugh because I would often make comments about the date that Sherry and I had that morning. And, uh, and so people remember this date morning and people will still to this day come up to us every once in a while and go, do you guys still do date, Tuesday morning, date morning? And, uh, but we had to be creative. We had to figure out when it worked for us. Um, and it worked really well for us to have a date on Tuesday. And it also kept me healthy by not having these really long days. And so it was productive in many ways. So be creative as you think about your dating. Um, so we want to give you a few re- recent things that we've done, too, just so you can think, oh, yeah, they've been married 26 years, and they're still kind of thinking about this. Um, last year we had a 25th anniversary, so what we decided to do on, for our 25th anniversary is to come up with 25 things that we've always wanted to do. And so uh, some of them were kind of elaborate, like go to Africa, which we did do, and we rafted the Nile, and we did a lot of things like that. But some of them weren't quite so crazy, but it was really fun for us to um, have kind of this list. And that's one of the things that we're going to have you do as a part of your project for tonight is to come up with, maybe 10 things that you guys want to do in the next few years um, before you kind of hit the next stage of your relationship, whether that's kids or whatever. But, or a dog. Yeah. You know, but I, dog. I think we have goals. We too. have goals for most areas of our life, but we don't really come up after getting married. We kind of check that off, and we don't really have goals beyond that. So what do we want? Uh, what kind of adventures do we want to have together, and what kind of dating patterns do we want to have? So we wanted you guys to be able to think about that. So we had this 25, a list, a list of 25 things we wanted to do. One of the things that was on the list was we want to inspire 25 couples to date well. And there's 21 couples here, right? So yep. we only have to find four more now. That's right. <laughs> Could you tell your friends and then tell us and then we'll, we'll count those four um, couples. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is we went through and we're bouncing all around a little bit with the stages of, but we also were thinking about this and the fact that like there's a, there was a period of time when we were both, well, I was working as an intern here at the inn in Seattle and, um, well, actually even before that, we, we were both still students. We, we got married before our fifth year in college. So I, I was playing football still. So I had a fifth season. Sherry was, in her last quarter of student teaching, I mean, we had nothing. Like, I remember one time, beginning of December, when we were sitting down and we had some bills. We had, we had $11 to our name. We did. $11. And we looked at each other and said, what should we do? We went to Red Robin. Um, <laughs> okay. I know that like, you think smart, Red Robin was a lot cheaper then. That was like 30 years ago. So. Yeah, you could go to Red Robin for 11 <laughs> we could, bucks. So. in that day. In it that was case. the original one that's not open anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... 
But so isn't that, that that's not very good financial advice. Notice you'll not in the three weeks we're together, we're not going to talk about finances. <laughs> Might want to have a different couple come in for that one, Ryan. Ryan Ryan's couples group didn't bring us in to talk about money. No, we do we do fine. But we but actually the, one of the things that we've done as well over our life is we've always we we've we'd made a decision when we were young. We made a decision that as much as we might want the newer car or as much as we might want new countertops on our counters or whatever, we, we said we're going to make sure that before we do anything that has to do with our property or anything that we're going to stop and say, would we rather spend our money on an experience, right? Because going to Africa costs, well, it's the roof that I need to get on my house here eventually. That's about what it costs to go to Africa. Is a roof on my With house like ah, I could put it off for a few more years, you know? And so, and um, uh, you know, soon we're going to be feeling like we're living in Africa. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, that was part of the thing. We went to Africa. It's like who cares now? You know, let it happen. It's a little warmer there though. Oh, yeah. But anyway, but for us, one of the one of the things that became a very uh, you know, and this is probably true for a lot of you, but we find great places to walk because we just know that when we walk together, we talk. In a way, and especially when we were young in our relationship, and this will come up a little bit later, um, when I wasn't as apt to be very conversational about my feelings and my thoughts, that it was one way to get us talking because I was okay talking if I was looking that way and not having to look at somebody. Uh, but it became uh, a great, great, wonderful dates for us as well because it was cheap. Well, it's so. still one of our favorite dates. If, if yeah. we live up near Woodenville, and one of our favorite dates, it's a kind of our uh, go-to date these days, is that we'll go do a Woodenville walk that starts at Wilmot Gateway Park, and it goes out to uh, Woodenville's kind of wine mecca now, if you haven't been out there. But uh, we'll either walk to Red Hook Brewery or Chateau Saint-Michel, and it sounds like Rock Hawks. <laughs> Wait, can we scratch this from the tape? But we're really, we're not. <laughs> Uh, there's other places. But there happy too. hour starts at four. And <laughs> we can tell you the whole menu. Okay. Anyway, fun fun dates that we have. Uh, let's finish with this one on that because this is our longest point of the night. Just so you're not. No. Which one? Well, we talked about. Well, one of the things we talked about is the gift of experience. The importance of having a gift of experience right, right, with right. each other. And so we've done things like we consider. Uh, with the churches, even though things have changed a little bit in the last couple of years yeah. since they had kids. But uh, our Husky football season tickets with the churches is date, a date night for us. So we felt like that was kind of when we looked at date, our budget, we were like, let's buy a season tickets. I mean, we get to go. We both love the Huskies. We're both Huskies. And, and we got to be with the churches and stuff like that. So it was always a fun date, especially back in those days when we weren't winning any games. Wait a minute. We're not winning any games now. <laughs> we were, you know, we like, we, it had to be a good date because there wasn't a lot of football to enjoy. But we did things like that. Um, we also, this summer, we, um, we went, uh, we went to, uh, 80s band concert. Yeah, it was our 30th was reunions. Our Mike and I graduated from rival high schools. Um, 30 years ago, yeah. Yeah, and so we both had our 30 reunions. So we decided we are going to see every 80s band we could possibly see this year. So we went to Styx, Pat Benatar. Um, Lover Boy. Lover Boy. Uh, Journey. Yeah, Journey. Of course. Yeah. Uh, REO Speedwagon. Speedwagon. Oh, that was the best. Yeah. yeah, they were awesome. That was at the Snoqualmie Casino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're a ha- you know you're a husband so, when you're at the Snoqualmie Casino. Okay. So we drink a lot, gamble, and go to 80s music. No. And we don't listen to anyone to listen to our tapes. We have some fun ones. Uh, okay. So I, I just have to tell you, like, we had you write down a favorite date. So I have to tell you mine just because I feel like it will inspire you for every once in a while to just kind of go over the top with a, a plan that you have that can make things really fun and spicy. So um, it was my birthday, and it wasn't a special birthday. It wasn't like my 30th birthday or anything like that. It was just a random birthday, and uh, it kind of had been a fun day at home with the girls and Mike, and around 5 o'clock he says, Sherry, I just have one more thing that I want you to open. And he hands me this box, and I open it up, and I pull out this hot pink taffeta dress that looked like it was from the 80s because it was and he Poofy said sleeves. he said today is the 20th anniversary of when i asked you to prom put on the dress we're going to prom and so uh i got dressed and mike found some kind of a tux. tuxedo 
It was, it was awesome. It had Value a, village. It had a, a Hawaiian scene, cummerbund, <laughs> like it was a Hawaiian scene. It was awesome. And then as I was done getting ready, the doorbell rang, and my sister was there with her husband in their prom attire, and one of my good high school friends and her husband were there. And the funniest thing is my sister was about six months pregnant at the time with her prom dress on. We called her the knocked-up, you know, prom date, you know. <laughs> and the funniest thing was her, when, when, when her brother-in-law went with me to get to, to hunt down a, you know, an old tux that we could find, he, he couldn't find one. He couldn't find one that fit him. And so instead, he got this old tweed coat. And so we just made the joke that he didn't have any money because he had to pay like, for the baby. I really so, felt like his outfit was reminiscent to me of Kramer on Seinfeld. He totally, <laughs> he totally did. Uh, that was kind of the look that came to mind. Uh, so anyway, he had borrowed, when we went to prom the first time, we had his parents like big Lincoln Continental. So he borrowed one that my parents had was almost similar. And we got in the car. He had played the Eric Clapton Wonderful Tonight, which was our prom theme. Oh. We had that in the car. Yeah, and we went to the, the restaurant that we Just went to. Just wondering what clothes to Went to the restaurant we went to for prom. And when we got up to the steps, there's all these prom kids in the lobby, getting, you know. We planned and, that, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't and, know it was uh, some high school's prom. So I went up to some of them. I'm like, so is it your high school prom? And they're like, yeah. I go, yeah, it's ours, too. <laughs> 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 okay. And they're kind of looking at me like, oh. <laughs> like, do you care if we get our picture with you guys? <laughs> and so we had our picture taken with all the Linwood High School prom kids. And, um, and our waitress just thought the whole thing was a, a hoot. Was but fun. one of the really fun things was... Mike was working down here as the human uh, pastor. And so he kind of uh, rallied this group of students who lived in the human house to set it up as a prom. So they moved out all the furniture. They set it up for a prom. They had the prom scene, the wonderful tonight thing. They all dressed up in 80s. Um, they 80s. all went out to dinner they down in the dinner. And then when we got there, they were all there. And we had a prom uh, celebrating our prom from 20 years ago. So needless to say... Hot and heavy. It pays off to do things like that every once in a while, right? I still live off of those points yeah. that I got that night, guys. So, <laughs> so every once in a say. while. Okay, so because you've been listening to us already for a few minutes, so we want you to stop. Take the sheet of paper that's in front of you, the project sheet, staying alive. Don't, you don't have to go through anyone, but we want you to take a look at the second question that's on there. And just as we just said, we want you to start just jotting down. So, so as to trigger your memory... Just start jotting down a couple things that you might want to say, this is something I want to do. This is something I want to do. Okay? You each have a piece of paper, so you each can do this. You don't have to do it on one. Okay? There's enough pieces of paper for everybody. So it's the second, it's the second question. Um, start a list of dates and adventures that you want to have before kids or whatever your, I didn't want to, I feel bad putting kids up there for anybody that might not be thinking about having kids, but just, just make a list for, whatever stage you're going to be at next.
we're doing is I, I wrote this down. Remember, I actually made the statement a little bit wrong when I started by saying that my pastor said to me, you start making love to your wife when you wake up in the morning. But the thing that it taught me, and, and this is especially for me, because some of these points as we keep moving through have a lot to do with me, maybe in some ways more than even Terry, but is that it taught me that there's so much more to lovemaking than intercourse. And that's part of what we're trying to get at here. There's so much more to lovemaking uh, than intercourse. And, and if I learned, so to speak, to make love um, with my wife, intimacy will be satisfying. I'm, I'm going to be whether I have an orgasm or not. Okay? And just put it straight out because I know what goes on in a lot of the minds of people out here, especially uh, half of the folks that are out here. Okay? It's going on. Okay? So there's a lot more there's a lot more to lovemaking than intercourse. And if I learn to make love with my wife throughout the course of our life together, uh, then intimacy will be satisfying with or without an orgasm. Okay? And, and so and we learned this well. I'll never forget when this old 80-some-year-old couple was talking about how great their, their sex life was. And when somebody finally said to them, so, like, can you be honest? Like, how often a year do you do this? And they were like, well, once this year. And um, that they had intercourse. You know, and it's like, but they talked like they had this, about this great sex life. And it happened once. I thought, wow, that's a good story when you were 80. <laughs> um, besides the fact that you thought, he also stopped and said, it even happened once. But, you know, but... They talked like it, and we thought, man, there's something different going on in this couple that can talk so in, in such a, a way that you just, they, about their relationship with one another that there's something more. And this, that brings up our second thing, and that is that it's important for us to lighten up. The second thing is that, 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 that what makes, makes, makes love great so that we, that we learn to lighten up. Now, we realize that when we first brought this up today, we said, ah, oh, the challenge on this is some people are always making it light of things. We're like, yeah, but that's okay. It's our, important for us to understand some of our own story as we journey into this. How important a sense of humor is. Um, this is the area we've gotten a lot better at. Last week we told you our best story, the one we're very proud of about the parking lot. You remember that one? And um, I feel like this is the area that we've really grown in because there's so many things that happen now in our relationship that maybe as newlyweds we would have been in a fight about and now sometimes we'll just look at each other and it doesn't happen instantaneously but a lot of times we'll just start laughing because we just know how ridiculous um, we're being about something that's just really not that big of a deal and like Mike said I think it is important that when there are serious issues you deal with them and don't try to make everything a joke but if you're if you're light about the things that don't really matter, it gives you way more space to deal with the things that do matter. So not everything can be some, uh, something going to battle with. So you have to kind of pick those um, carefully. So uh, sometimes I think we think that if we want to make it a point about something, we have to be intense and serious, where sometimes the same point is made in a more humorous, lighter way. And we actually had this happen today because <laughs> we're kind of going through our notes, deciding what do we want to add, what do we want to take out. And, and the way that I am is that I can focus on stuff that I need it to be kind of tidy around me. Like I need my surroundings to be kind of clean and orderly or I can't totally focus. So Mike and I are sitting there, and I'm noticing my computer screen's dirty. So I'm going in the kitchen, I'm getting cleaning off my screen, and then when I have this cloth, I'm looking at my chandelier, and I'm going, that looks dusty too. So I'm on the chair, you know, dusting my chandelier, as Mike's trying to talk to me about his notes, you know? And I, I go back into the kitchen, and I'm coming, I came back out to the dining room, and Mike's standing there with a weed eater. <laughs> And he's like, maybe I'll just start doing my jobs too while we talk to you. It was so funny. But, um, I mean, he could have handled the situation really differently than that, right? Like, it could have like made me really crabby before tonight. And, um, well, yeah, that, but that's the point. Is 25 years ago, that would have been an argument. Right. I mean, it would have made things really tense because I'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? We're trying to work and the reality is, because I do that to her, too, all the time. She'll want to work on something, and I'll find myself, you know, I'll be looking at my phone and checking the email or something, and, and she'll be mad, and learning to diffuse it. I just, for some reason, I have no idea why that 
change in my head. But probably because you know I didn't get all the artwork I was supposed to in yesterday before it poured down rain, and so I was thinking, well, why don't you come outside while we eat? You try to write this talk with me out there. So, so anyway. It was funny, but we've always, we've kind of always had at least one kind of part to our week to laugh together, but also just at something. So we've always had like a favorite sitcom that we watch together, DVR it and watch it once a week, or, you know, something at the end of the day that kind of lightens us up and um, it's kind of a stress reliever. We really believe in laughter a lot at our fa in our family. And that trait we can tell has been passed on to our kids because they're really hilarious about things. And, you know, I we've mentioned our older daughter has been through some very, very serious things, and she's got probably the best sense of humor of anyone you would know, so it does get kind of passed on. Yeah. Well, there's an important thing that we learned a few years ago. Um, we, were, we were just in scripture about some stuff, and we realized as we were studying different, some different words that there's a difference between, um, or, or let, me, let me say it like this, this might help you understand. When you think of being patient or being patient with your spouse, right? Like, have you ever had to say that, like you're being patient? When you think of being patient, it usually implies that you're waiting for something to change, right? Doesn't that what patience means? Like, I'm patiently waiting for this situation to change. But there's a word in the scriptures that actually, a lot of times will get translated as patience in the Bible, when it really should be translated differently. Matter of fact, some of your older Bibles will translate that same word as forbearance. To forbear with something, to bear up under something. And Sherry and I learned that this is a lot of what happens in a marriage, is that is that I could wait for her to change some behavior or some way that she is. Or I could begin to understand what forbearance means. To, to not patiently wait for her to change, but to learn to forbear with what it is that she has. And that's a lot of the dynamic that we were talking about last week about family of origin. It's also the things that you're starting to notice about each other that are kind of quirky things. Uh, like, I don't understand why Sherry doesn't put the milk where the milk goes in the refrigerator. Like, milk is supposed to, like, the, there's a condiment shelf, right? And there's a, see, there's a, she, she was talking about how she likes things clean and orderly, like when she's doing stuff. I think there's a place for them in the refrigerator, you know? <laughs> It's kind is. of like, yeah, it's wherever there's room. That's the place for it. <laughs> yeah, no. <there's> no, <laughs> no. Like the cereal goes on one shelf in the pantry. There's just one shelf. We're never going to agree about any of this because, like, we still, we still, like, he, I drive him nuts because I do things different. Like, when I grocery shop, I don't go down one aisle. At the other aisle, I decide there's something I want over here. Then I decide there's something I want over here, and so he doesn't he doesn't like the way I do it. He thinks it's wrong. <laughs> and when you go shopping for something, if you want a pair of pants, you just go get the pair of pants. So dull. I mean, so we we have very different personalities in some ways, and so there's things that we never will agree on. But this has become a big source of humor for us. Most of the time, not always. Like we're not perfect. We not everything is. Yeah, not everything's hilarious every second at our house. But um, but we have learned to make a lot of those idiosyncrasies that we both have into something that's funny and something that we can kind of appreciate about each other. And um, yeah. So it's important for us to lighten up. All right. The second thing you don't want to go through that. No, it's okay. Um, oh, wait, do we need to go back? Okay. Okay. okay, third thing, okay? And this one, now track with us on this one a little bit. The, the third thing is, is the eye. We're on eye. Sure, maybe one day. The third thing is influence and being Of, uh, uh, I just realized my mic wasn't on that whole time. We're going to have to go back and do all those points over again. No, we're not. Okay. So, sorry, tape people. Like I'm talking to myself. 
And, uh, and, um, the, the chaplain of the football team and I uh, had gotten close uh, to there and I wanted to kick, get a better relationship going with my dad. Um, which I didn't really necessarily care about until I became a Christian in college. But I want to become a... Have, but anyway, long story short, he taught me about this thing called the five languages of love, which you guys are, are familiar with. Well, so so we learned various things about as well for Sherry and I as we began to talk about this in our relationship, what is our love language? Um, and so I know that my number one love language uh, is, is words of affirmation or words. Words are important to me. Uh, matter of fact, I don't care if you tell me uh, you know, bad things, if you give me constructive feedback or positive feedback. I, it, it's, what's important is that you engage me with words. So words are really important to me. And Sherry's is quality time. So she wants to have time together, quality time together. And this is one of the things that, honestly, I wasn't necessarily very good at when we started out in a relationship. I like to do things, um, uh, but not necessarily engage in what she called quality time. So I thought if we just spent time together, you know, went out on a date, we could go bowling or we could go do something, then that was good enough. But we never connected in that. You know, we never necessarily went deep into our conversation. And so when I was taught about this language of love, it was profound for me in my life, partly because when I discovered that my dad's love language was service, I discovered some really incredible things. I started doing things for my dad. I started serving my dad, washing his truck, mowing his yard, doing things that he would always ask me or really tell me to do, because he never asked us to do anything, tell you to do something. So I would just go do it without. And all of a sudden, things with my dad changed, not significantly, but a little bit with my father. Uh, through that. But the most important thing that happened was I began to notice something else, and that is that if that's my dad's love language, and that's how to love him, what I began to notice is that's how he's speaking. See, the whole idea of love language, right? It's your language. It's what you speak. or It's, it's how you experience love, but it's also how you speak love or give love. And so I started to notice that my dad, all these things that my dad had done all my life, that was his way of saying he loved me. Um, all these ways because his love act was service. He would serve Sherry and I and me and other things and began to notice. My dad, I never heard him say actually the words I love you until two weeks before he died. To give you a little context of this, so it was a very important thing. So I took it seriously and I began to realize that I need to begin, you know, begin to, so to speak, speak Sherry's language. Understand what this quality time and, 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 and whatnot. And here's what happened. We had gotten to a point in our life where we had three kids. They were all young. I mean, it was it was exhausting. Our home was exhausted, exhausting. I was doing running you men. Um, I was in seminary. I mean, I was staying up late at night writing papers. We've got three kids. Life was crazy. And uh, but here was the crazy thing. I was going to my small group. I had a small group of guys I met with every Thursday morning, and they're in about the same stage of life. They're all having kids, and they're all talking about how they don't have sex. And I couldn't relate to them because we were having sex. And I wanted to kind of commiserate with these guys like, yeah, it's just so tough. You know, your wife doesn't want to have sex with you, you know. And, but my wife wants to have sex with me, you know. Like, this is, this is, you know. But how, you know, how do you interact with that? But it was like this, this thing was kind of happening with us that was kind of a little bit unusual in comparison to a lot of people at that stage of life. Um, and, um, and so we were kind of grateful. But something began to happen to me that was really strange. Um, so, so Sherry and I are having a wonderful physical relationship with three kids and a busy life. But our physical relationship is fine, but I begin to feel something's missing. And I don't quite, can't quite figure out what it is. Long story short, I began to discover that what I missed was quality time with Sherry that was spent talking and walking and listening and engaging one another at a whole nother level. And that, now, you gotta understand, I, I have, I was a full, you know, blooded, you know, American male. Like, let's, you know, be physical was, was, you know, game on early in the marriage. And here we are, I don't know how many, 10 years or so down the line. And all of a sudden, I'm the one who's coming to her kind of saying, Hey, could we not tonight so that we could talk and cuddle? You know, like, you know, and, uh, Ryan's going, Yeah, come on, really? <laughs> It might be an exaggeration. But the point of this, the point of that whole story, <laughs> point of that whole story, uh, that was really a real time in our life. The uh, point of the story was to realize that, that, um, that Sherry had influenced me. Um, that there was a change that occurred in me. And uh, I had grown up in an alcoholic home. And I talk, talked to you last week a little bit about some of the challenge of, of being in a home that didn't face conflict very well. There was a lot of avoidance. Um, you didn't talk about things. I mean, we made some jokes about that last week, 
But some of my stuff is deeply rooted in alcoholism and and dependency that comes with alcoholism. And so to have Sherry uh, take the time and be patient with me and forbear with me, if you will, and help me to learn to begin to open up and share things in my life to the point where here I am doing it with you. And in some ways, it's what I do with my life with people now. But way back when I was 18, 19, 21, 22 years old, early years of marriage, sharing. I mean, when I make the joke about, you know, last week I said, you know, ladies, when you ask the guy, you know, what are you feeling? You know, it's like he's not feeling anything. Like, you know, that's like a real thing. That is a reality. But as you get older, also beginning to learn to understand what those feelings are when you do have them, to know what your thoughts are when you begin to think and be able to express them, and maybe even more important, to begin to understand the things that she wants me to ask her, that she would like me to talk to her about and begin to to venture into that, that there really is an incredible ability to be influenced. And I will say, you know, maybe for you young dudes today, maybe it's a little bit different, I don't know. But I definitely grew up in, in a in a world and a culture where we men. I don't know if you're familiar with the with the uh, uh, the, the term you know emotional intelligence. Uh, but we were we were just not raised to be very emotionally intelligent as men. Our culture just does a bad job of helping us learn to be emotionally intelligent. And so I'm really grateful that there were older men in my wife who encouraged me to be influenced by my wife when it came to learning how to be relational, to how to learn to love in a way that is meaningful. And it, and it, and it literally has changed the way in which I interact with people because of the way she's been able to kind of educate me and teach me on this. Um, last week I mentioned that, well, we like to mention books that are have been significant to us and... I like you to see, I mean, a lot of what we do share is our opinions and our experience, but we, a lot of that is we draw from a lot of different sources and mentors of our lives. And um, one of the people that we've really paid close attention to is John Gottman. Maybe some of you have read his book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. But he talks about this idea of influence. Um, and he says, in our long-term study of 130 newlywed couples now in its eighth year, we have found that even in the first few months of marriage, men who allow their wives to influence them have happier marriages and are less likely divorced than men who resist their wife's influence. Hmm. And I think he goes on to say that um, in, in situations where a man is not willing to share influence with his partner, there's 81% chance that his marriage will self-destruct. And, um, you know, last week we talked about the priority of leaving and cleaving, and we talked about when we get married, that partner is the first person that we go to with joys and sorrows, ups and downs, and how sometimes if you have a partner that's not the most responsive, it is tempting to decide, I'm going to go to my mom, I'm going to go back to my mom, because she'll jump up and down with what I have to say, or my best friend, but when you do that, it's not that you don't do that, but when you do that instead of doing this, then you don't get this this relationship, this friendship that Mike was talking about doesn't get the chance to really evolve and right. grow. So it takes a while, but yeah. worth it. Fourth. Okay, fourth. Um, it's, it's in some ways similar, and that is to value and respect. Value and respect. Um. So I want to share a couple of things that um, that I've learned about this, and that is um, I feel very value. I feel very. We've lived we've lived a pretty public life for a lot of years. Um, Mike has been a speaker for a long time, and a lot of the times he talks about our lives or our relationship. And what I've really appreciated about Mike is when he talks about me in public, it's always been in a favorable way. I'm never the butt of his joke. Well, I guess here I kind of been a butt of a few jokes, <laughs> but but generally speaking, I'm not. He speaks about me in a way that's almost elevating. I'll listen to the way he talks about me and go, "Is that really me?" Because he can make me sound better than I am, and I know that he does that. But I feel valued by that, and so um, I don't know what it means for you to feel valued. But that's one of the things we're going to have you answer on your project today: is what is it that makes you feel valued? What is it that makes you? feel respected. Now, um, I also I also had to ask myself the opposite question. What do I do to make Mike feel respected? 
or disrespected. And I think one of the things that um, early on that I used to do that I've kind of learned not to do anymore is Mike's a big vision person. He's a dreamer. So he used to come to me and say, hey, I have this, like, I've had this thought. And he'd tell me this really outlandish, crazy idea. <laughs> and I would, like, decide that it was my job to to show him all the holes in his dream, right? Like, all the reasons why that was really ridiculous and was not going to work. And I would just see him sort of deflate kind of before my eyes, you know, and um, so I've learned that that's really not what I want to do. That kind of cut off our conversation. And, and I realized that to respect him is to be open to his dreams and his ideas. And, and he has influenced me in that way. Going back to, to being influenced, he's influenced me in that it's okay to dream big together and have big vision for things and not think that things are so impossible. And we've done some pretty crazy things together, things that I've never thought we would do. And so I've learned a little bit about what that means um, in our situation, but I, we, we do want you to think about what it looks like in your situation. Mm -hmm. What does it look like for you to value and respect one another? Yeah, and it's really important for you guys. When, when you know, we give you these projects, I don't know if the project we gave you two weeks ago, if you did or didn't do, but you know, part of this is that these words will just be empty and will will leave you if you don't go home and kind of, you know, if, if you, even if you don't do our project, do some project, uh, you know, especially around these these elements, for you guys to really begin to talk through um, what does it mean for me to feel valued and respected by you? Um, and what are the things that are happening in our relationship right now that, that really take that away, that make it feel, uh, and again, remember, it, it's, again, it's not necessarily about right and wrong, you know, it's about just being able to express what those things are uh, to each other, because just as it's important for me and or for Sherry to allow me to sh to dream, I have to also stop and think about when I start dreaming with her, and when there's you know snot-nosed kids running around, and there's bills to pay, and there's craziness in life. She may not be wanting to hear any dreams right now. It's right then, she just wants you know a nose wiped and you know uh, a diaper changed and a you know. Uh, a bill paid. You know, she doesn't want to talk about it. And so you have to be able to be sensitive because that, that's also sharing, uh, communicating value and, and respect to each other uh, in those situations. So it's important to do that. Uh, one passage of scripture I did not write down. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight. We might see if we look at it in a couple weeks a little bit more. But Ephesians chapter 5 is the famous passage of scripture uh, about marriage um, from the Apostle Paul. But there's one very important phrase that we cannot fail to miss. It's actually in verse 21, which is really where the passage starts. There's a change that Paul is making in his, in his dialogue in that chapter. But in verse 21, it says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul goes on to talk about three types of relationships, husbands to wives, uh, children to parents, and slaves to master or employee to employer. But his opening line is a charge to submit to one another. And the whole idea behind this word submit, because it's gotten a lot of bad press, especially in the fact that in verse 22 it says, wives unto your husbands. You know, and the whole headship statement and all that kind of stuff. Um, and again, I'll, I can go into more detail of it next week. But the reason why I bring up that one line is to understand that at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, at the heart of the message for man or woman, for a young person or an old person, for the person who owns the company or the person who's working for does not matter. Does not matter the circumstances that when Jesus Christ came and laid down his life on the cross, he radically changed the economy of everything by saying that it will not be so with you to his disciples when the disciples wanted the Lord over the people. He said, no, no, there's a totally new way of living life. The, the, the way of Jesus Christ and the people of God is, tr is, is radically different. And what it is instead is it's not a doormat mentality either. It's not, I'm just going to walk around and be a doormat. The idea is that you receive the strength and the power that God gives us in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to be so strong that you can get underneath people and lift them up and elevate them to become the people that, that God would want them to be because that's what God did in Jesus. See, what God did in Jesus Christ is the one who created the world, who has the entire, you know, owns the whole world, control the whole world, dies. What, for what purpose though? That we would experience real life as God intended it. So I always say in Ephesians 5, when it tells husbands to love their wife as Christ loves the church, I said, your job, men, is to give life to your wife every day. 
to wake up and ask, what does it mean for me to give value and respect to her every day? That's your job. That's your job. If you want to live in this whole headship concept, even though I think what Paul does in Ephesians 5 is he kind of almost X out the whole headship concept because of what he's saying. He's saying, look, the job, your job is, is to is submit, to get under and to lift up the person that God is in, inviting you to lift up, to encourage. Whether, again, doesn't matter who you are. That's the charge. So in some ways, Paul looks at the women and says, women, you already get this because you've had to do this all your entire existence. That's why I always tell people all the time that when Paul wrote those words in Ephesians 5, when he wrote those 2,000 years ago, it made men mad and women happy. And today it makes women mad and men happy because people don't understand that when it was written, women were property. Men didn't have to love them. That's the whole point of it. It's a radical change. It's a radical change of what's going on. When Paul is telling the husbands to love your wife like Christ of the church, it is a radical shift. Women were just told to do the same thing they'd been doing. But what's going to change is the way the man treats you. And you do that, you watch what happens. Value and respect is a very important thing, and that's why I place heavy emphasis upon that right there at this moment. Because for us guys, that's our duty in life, to bring life to our wife. That's what God's charged us to do. And that's what we're called to wake up every day. We're going to talk more about mission, or what our ministry is a little bit more next week. Let's finish with our E. So uh, we didn't think we would do this talk justice without talking a little bit about what well, we wanted to call them sexpectations, but because we knew that it has to be expectations. So expectations. As newlyweds, expectations get us into some real trouble um, because our expectations going into marriage are typically huge. And, uh, Mike, you're going to talk about this. Oh, I'm going to talk about that first? Well, I thought we were going to talk about barometer first, though, to lead into this, no? Oh, however you want to do it. What were your expectations? <laughs> I only had sex expectations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we go... Uh, we, go, we have a lot of expectations in, in relationship in general. Matter of fact, um, when I do a lot of premarital counseling, I say, you know, this is the big thing that we've got to settle in and, 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 and get a hold of. But a lot of times you don't know your expectations until after the wedding day. You know, and that's just it. I mean, you, you kind of, you but they're all like, yeah, yeah. Then you get into it and it's like, whoa, whoa, this isn't real, you know. And so you begin to hit this, you know, you, but expectations are, are, are a major player in this whole thing. I think you guys have all begun to learn that, and especially around the, the area of the physical relationship. I think we have a challenge uh, in this room right now, and I say this to the men and the women, but, you know, I feel like I, it's a little bit more uncomfortable talking to the, with the gals in this room. It's a lot easier to talk to guys about this when it's just us together, but, but you know, the, you ladies need to know this as well, that what's happening in our culture and has happened to your, to your man since since he hit puberty, is that he has been barraged in this in this society with an expectation around what women are going to be like sexually. That's just that's just wrong. It's wrong. It's unfair to you. It's an unfair to them. But the images that portrayed that we've been given in movies, that we get in pornography, that has been that's come to us, and hopefully a lot of you guys have never had to. Never looked at pornography. Hopefully you don't know what these things are. And then maybe some of you gals or a lot of you gals may not have, have as well. You have no idea what's out there. But for a lot of guys, the, the, the expectation that's placed in their heads about what sex is going to be like and what you're going to be like uh, is, is become an incredibly uh, challenging and overwhelming thing to, to deal with. So much so that I actually feel like that Ryan and I have had this conversation quite a bit that, that in some ways you guys are, are dealing with stuff in your generation that's un, unheard of. Uh, in comparison to what what generations before you have done, just because of the uh, the the impact it has on what your expectations are, what you think ought to happen in the bedroom, what you think your spouse should be like. But at first and foremost, you need to know that that that's something that we have to face and we have to deal with, and you have to get really honest with with yourself about. Um, I have wedding marriages that that uh, that I helped officiate at over ten years ago that are unraveling before our eyes because of this problem. People that I, you never would have thought. I mean, people that I never would have thought that, that the issues of pornography and things like that would have, would have wrecked havoc on their marriage. And it is. And uh, because the bottom line is they won't deal with it right away. If you've got an issue in this area, guys, and gals as well, because I know the, the, uh, the, 
the largest age group of, of pornography use uh, right now, the, the fastest increase is with, with young ladies. So that's the, in, the highest increase in use of pornography right now. Um, so I know it's, it's on the rise. The bottom line is this. The, that whole thing will just, will just rob you. It'll just kill you because of expectations of what it does to you. It just distorts what is, is true. And so you, if that's a challenge in your life, then you need to deal with it um, because it's going to have major uh, implications in your life down the road if you don't deal with it today. I, had a, I heard a phrase that I, I really liked recently, and it's, it was, hope is not a strategy. And so hoping something's going to change or something's going to go away or a problem's going to fall to the wayside, that's not a strategy for overcoming it. So if this is something you're dealing with, you need a real strategy that's really going to work for you. And just hoping is not, is not a strategy. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we want to talk a little bit about expectations is the issue of comparison. Like, I don't know how many of you are in couples groups or have friends that you're close with, and you can start making comparisons. So maybe you're really happy with the amount that you're having sex with your spouse, but then you hear that the person next to you is like, you have sex every day or twice a day? And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm not happy anymore because, wait a minute, you're outdoing me. you know. And so I think we have to be really careful with sharing too much and too openly. I think we do need places we can talk about this, but I think we have to be careful where those places are and what the motivation of sharing things because I think it can become a way to make you unhappy with comparison. You, comparing, you don't even know really if what people are telling you is true anyway. Like Mike shared the story last week of people that were talking up a good game, but he knew because a couple people in their same group were in his office with the same issue. So you don't know what, what if people are really saying is true. And then the jelly bean, the jelly bean thing that Mike already brought up really got one of our couples that we married a long time ago in big trouble because they took the they jelly bean jar really seriously. They did the jelly beans the first year of marriage. They were so determined to get the jelly beans out of the jar that it was wrecking havoc. They were going to empty the jelly bean jar the next year. They were yeah. bound determined to. Yeah. And the jelly bean jar eventually had to be thrown away because it was causing big, big problems, you know. <laughs> they were missing the point, really. I mean, they were really missing the point. Isn't that a funny one? So expectations that are realistic is, is very important and that you talk about. Expectations that you talk about. Sexual expectations that you talk about. And I find that it's a hard thing, especially if you're not used to having sex be something that you talk about. Like for some reason it seems easier to just engage in it than to really talk about it. So I think just encouraging you to talk about this area of your life and um, not assume that the other person's a mind reader and get on the same page about mm -hmm. some of these things. And we're going to um, give you an opportunity to talk and yeah. write some things down about that too. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, that our hope is that there would be a romance. There's this couple, whose name is uh, uh, Joanne and Ardeen Wood, and they uh, are... Uh, members of this church, and they every year would speak at this thing we did called Before You by the Ring, and they've been married now, what, maybe Probably 60 years? 60 years. And we would ask them every year to tell their story, and they're old, they're this old couple, and he gets up and starts talking, he's an engineer, he's a Boeing guy, and he's just really kind of, if you meet him in the hallway, he's really serious, and just seems really, um, but he gets up in this setting, and he can't stop crying the whole time, every time, and like, she has to cut in, and take over form but the funny thing is is like in other settings she's the one who cries with you like she's she'll cry with anybody that was her like her theme in life i'll cry with you if you need somebody to cry with you i'll cry with you she's just this wonderful couple and um and they would get up and they'd start telling their story and they would tell their story and and uh and it was really interesting because you'd be sitting there and at first you'd like be taking notes listening to their story but as time went along we started noticing when the first year the second first year second year that couples would be watching this thing, taking notes, and all of a sudden they would find themselves just kind of like this, and, you know, next thing you know, they'd be cuddling with each other, and they'd just be listening to Joanne and Ardeen, you know, just like, you know, and I'd have to say things like, get your hands up from underneath the table. And like, then, we uh, want to be like them. And they would, and it was so wonderful, and you would see this, and, 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 you, and you just realize that whatever it is that Joanne and Ardeen have, that's what I want. And there was this depth of, 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 of romance. There's this depth of tenderness and love that they shared with one another that, that was just absolutely contagious. Um, and, and, and it, you know, there wasn't a lot about their sex life per se. They would throw out a couple things every once in a while. 
But it was a lot about a lot of these other things and just learning how to really love each other uh, so that in the midst of, you know, 60 years of marriage, you still could look at this couple and went, wow, they've got a wonderful connection. Mm -hmm. They have a love life that is amazing. And that's what we hope that all would have because this is a gift that God has given each one of us. Why would we want to turn it into business partners? Why would we want to turn this into just, you know, roommates? You know, you know, managers of kids and kid business. Uh, when God has given this incredible gift uh, that we can have the rest of our life, and that's our hope. So uh, we hope that that works out. What we'd like you to do is take the 3 by 5 card that you have, a, a separate one. There should be extras. It's 8.15, Ryan. We doing all right? Okay, we're going to be a little bit more specific with these, okay? We're going to... Uh, we're going to actually ask you to write down questions that you have. This is a Q&A thing. If you have a question, you don't have to. You don't have one. to. Um, specifically about the subject of sex, okay? Very specifically, okay? Because what we've done is created the framework to hopefully help create a healthy sexuality in your life, uh, your relationship, or at least shared the things that help us to have healthy sexuality in our relationship. But we want to actually ask specific questions, and we're going to do this next time we're together, Okay? So write down a question that you might have. Don't worry. Be It can be about as explicit as you want, but that's why I'm letting you do it confidentially if you'd like. Um, and again, we, we will share, you know, our opinion on it or indoor if we have time, we'll figure out other things. So write down a question that you have about that. That, that two people could have together. Um, but as a result, and so we realize that sex is often the barometer in our relationship. Um, so it, it tells a lot. It may want you to point back. So if you're in a place where you're kind of going, well, in my relationship, in our marriage, sex is the, the struggle or it is the problem, then what we're partly saying is, is then you might want to go back to this. Or, or, or other things, you, know, you might want to go back and check to see how the, kind of, so to speak, the roots uh, and the tree is doing if you're having trouble producing, in, es in essence, mm -hmm. that fruit in your relationship because mm -hmm. it's the barometer. Right. I know that for me, like, if I don't feel like we're spending good time together and I'm not feeling valued and respected, um, or I feel like our relationship's gotten a little too intense, then it's really hard for me to, like, decide that we want to just go have a fun, intimate relationship. Like, that's just not what's on my mind, and it's not for a lot of women, so... I think that all of this really does play a huge mm -hmm. role in how you're doing sexually. Yeah. And Jay Leno, you know Jay Leno? <laughs> the expert. Jay Leno, Jay Leno one time would say, yeah, I don't get it. He goes, you know, you see all these women's magazines, you know, you go by in the store, they're sitting right there, you know, and it's like, you know, 30 ways to make him hot. You know, or, you know, 50 ways to get him interested, you know, in you, or, you know, 25, whatever. And he goes, look, ladies, there's just one thing. There's just one thing. Just show up. And, uh, and that's about all that needs to happen. Uh, however, I, 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 and one hand, that, that there is some truth to that, right? Just show up, guys. I mean, there is kind of like, yeah, there's not much more to that. I don't care if you disrespect me, you know, so to speak. But... There's another aspect to that, and that is that um, guys, and, I'm, and I say this on behalf of a lot of the guys in the room, that I think a lot of men do have their expectations out of whack because of sex. And so you guys need to get those in check. But the flip side of that, ladies, is if the man feels like all it is is work and work and work to get you interested and even to have you experience enjoyment at it, uh, then eventually he's sick. And so that's why in this area, it does take two to tango. And we need to take a look at all that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that stuff in two weeks because I'm sure on your cards there's some questions that are going to get right at the heart of some of these things. Okay? Get it? You all right? Are we finishing all right? Tell us what we're missing something. We're missing Our life, uh, not 
Thank you. 